the precious life he gave but now he's alive and there's an empty wonderful. The very same God as we heard it this morning too, that spins things in orbit. The one that created the heavens and earth, he came down to let you know, I care about you. God condescending down into a man to take our place. How wonderful he is. Amen. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to really cry out, I know. Not just some history story. But I know my Redeemer lives. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Amen. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Welcome you to the house of the Lord. Brother Andrew and Sister Sharon. Luciano. Little brother Lemuel. God bless you. I want to welcome you back. I don't think you've been welcomed to the house of the Lord yet with the new child. It's always good to have a new face in church, isn't it? Especially that new. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 23. Amen. Had this thought occur to me this morning. God just brought this scripture back to me. And then this afternoon just started opening it up. So we're thankful to the Lord. And I trust it'd be a blessing to you. Perhaps a simple thought, but maybe it'd just be a blessing to somebody. 
Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's so good just to come into your house, Lord. And we're truly thankful, Lord, that we can still gather together with saints of like precious faith, Lord, and bring our little licks of fire together and to worship you, Lord. And when we sing those songs, it's not just words of lip service, Lord, but it's something from our heart. Lord, truly we can say our God is tremendous. Lord, you've done so very much for us, Lord, and it's true that you've redeemed us, Lord, that it wasn't just that you saved us, but you redeemed us. You brought us back to what we were originally meant to be, sons and daughters of God, that we were attributes of yours before the foundation of the world. Lord, you wouldn't just leave us out lost in the world, but Lord, you called us. You redeemed us, Lord. You called us. You chose us, Lord. You justified. You sanctified. And Lord, you haven't left us there. You filled us with the Holy Ghost and fire. Father, we just are so thankful to you. And we want to give you the glory. We want to give you the honor, Lord. For truly, it's you who does the work. Who gives the increase, Lord. Who makes things real to us, Father. Who brings the revelation, Lord. Who feeds the sheep, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're just vessels, tools in your hands. So, Father, we want to surrender again this evening. Asking that you come and speak, Lord. And also, that you'd help us just to open our hearts and receive that which you have for us. We commit this word to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 23, we'll just read one short verse here and then verse 11. It said, And Herod, with his man of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and set him again to Pilate. Amen. May the Lord his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I want to just focus for tonight on the robe. And we'll just speak on that. And what I had for a title was the vesture of Elohim. The vesture, which a vesture is simply a robe. But the vesture of Elohim. And here we find in a very sacred scripture to any Christian where Jesus is being uh, taken and he's, he's about to be crucified. And as he was before Pilate, then Pilate sent him over to Herod and Herod sent him back to Pilate. But in the courts of Herod, he was arrayed by his own soldiers with a robe. In, one, in, 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 in each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all mention this scripture. They all mention how they put a purple robe. Some say a scarlet robe, which they say is just um, because the quality of color back then wasn't all that great. They said it was either purple or, or scarlet. It's kind of the same color back then. But it was a purple robe. It was a robe of royalty. They believe it was a robe that was worn by someone who was uh, of, of high regard, like what a general would wear or an emperor would even wear into the court of battle. They put that on him because here he was displayed and they were thought that they were betraying the, their, their king, the king of the Jews. So they put on him a robe of like this way and they put on him so they could mock him, they could make fun of him, they could slap him, they could do all of these things to our Lord Jesus Christ. But in all of it, they put on this robe on him and it wasn't just any robe, it was what they called a gorgeous robe. And it was, there was two particular things about it. One, that it was gorgeous, and two, that it was full of Christ. 
Because it was a robe that was put on Jesus Christ. And anyone that's wearing something like this jacket, it's full of me. I'm the one that's wearing it. And the robe that they put on Jesus, it had a special place. It was mentioned by all four. It was mentioned more than once. It was also the robe that when Jesus was then crucified, they cast lots over that purple robe. Having that, it had no seam on it. It was, it was, there was nothing. It was woven from top to bottom without a seam. And they couldn't cut it in half. They just cast lots for it. But I want to just speak for a moment on attire and robes and things. And don't worry, I'm not going to get too... Um, do's and don'ts, you know, don't mix your cottons with your, no, we'll just stay away from that. But I want to just say that, that there's something particular about attire and about robes. It, it tells a lot about a person or what they do and different things. And even in, in sporting events, they have specific attire for the sport they're going to play. You don't find a hockey player out there in a pair of shorts and a tank top. They've got a lot of equipment on. It's the attire they wear. They wear it for a purpose. And they wear it for protection. They wear it so they can do their job. And then there's other ones. Like if you were, look, have you ever seen some of the Olympics? You've, you've seen the years ago. I guess it's a long time ago now. But Michael Phelps winning all of his medals. They didn't wear hockey gear. He didn't wear baggy swim trunks and baggy pants to swim across the thing. He was wearing tight stuff and a big, tight, funny-looking cap. Right? I know it's not a little exciting, right? But we're talking about this for a reason. It's for a purpose that he's wearing that. It's for a reason that he's wearing those clothes to streamline his body. But in all of it, when he won all those medals, nobody looked at it and said, wow, it's a good thing he wore that cap. No, all the glory went to Phelps. All of it went to the individual that was wearing the clothes. He was the one that received it all. Same if you want to make it Canadian. If you look at Connor McDavid, nobody looks at him and says, those are fast skates. No, it's Connor McDavid that skates fast. But he just happens to wear a good pair of skates. There's another one, maybe Alex Ovechkin. He scores all kinds of goals. People don't look. So, oh, his stick. I got to get that stick. Then I could shoot like him. It's got nothing to do with that. That's just a tool in the right hand. But in looking at it, it's the person that's wearing the attire that makes the attire worthwhile. And perhaps that person wearing it may give some glory to that attire. They might give some uh, recognition to those clothes. They might say, well, it's because of this stick or because of these skates or because of that. It helps and it's this. And I thank you for my trainers and thank you for this one and my equipment managers and they might like that but in all of it to the onlooker to the fan they're not looking at that they're looking at the individual wearing the clothes wearing the attire and I'm going this way for a reason maybe some of you already got it but the attire doesn't receive the glory the person wearing it receives the glory but I want to go back now to the robe that Jesus wore when he was put on this, this robe, this scarlet or purple robe. I want to ask you, where did this robe come from? This robe had to be made. It had to be knit. It had to, be cre cre uh, had to go into the hands of somebody who had um, um, some knowledge of how to make a robe and even a seamless robe and put it together. And Brother Branham says it was a second-handed robe. It was made for him. But now when they put this on him, it was actually, it was called a purple wool robe. And then it was something wore, as I said, by a general or an emperor or a king when they went into battle. But now I want to just talk to you a moment about how do you make a purple robe back in those days. They didn't have synthetic purple. 
They couldn't just dip it in a dye and it come out purple. It was called Tyrian purple, and they had to make it by catching uh, marine snails. And these marine snails, they they would have to they would produce uh, like a terrible odor. Because really the way the purple was created, the snails themselves were not purple, but they had to give up a toxic poison as a, as a protection against what was happening to them. And they would take that and expose it to oxygen in order to create the pigment of purple. It was quite a difficult thing to do, a difficult process. In some writings they say purple back in this day was worth more than its weight in gold. It was a very expensive attire. It was something that you didn't just have by chance. But here we find they threw a robe of purple on Jesus to, to, to make a mockery of him. Yeah. But now it didn't come about it very easily. But this was both a gorgeous robe, but it was full of Christ. And in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, it says this. It says, how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings to good things. So we find it's not the only place in the scripture it talks about something gorgeous or beautiful. But here's something on Jesus that is gorgeous. And here it says someone that brings the, minute, brings the gospel of Jesus, it calls them beautiful. It calls them that they have a part that is looked upon as beautiful or as gorgeous. Yet though it was a second-handed robe, it was put on him by a soldier, and it suffered with him. It was on him for his suffering. He was brought up to Calvary with him, yet it was taken away from him because he had to die alone. The robe could not die with him. It was taken off of him. If you turn with me to John chapter 19, we'll just read a few verses here. That way we can properly lay this foundation. John chapter 19 and verse 1 says, When Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail the king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands, and Pilate therefore went forth saying and, and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. And let's jump over to verse 13. I want you to notice the way he presented them to the people. He presented him with a crown. He presented him with a purple robe, a color of royalty. But if you jump down to verse 13, he says, And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place which is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew tongue, Gabbatha. And it was the, the preparation for the Passover about the sixth hour. And he saith to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out away with him. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered, he the, he, then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. So notice what's the dispute here. It's the king. They've dressed him as a king. They've put a crown upon him as a king. And Pilate is saying, behold your king. 
And they're saying, we reject our king. We've rejected him. We know how he came in the last few days or weeks of his life down and riding on, a, uh, on the colt, the full of an ass, down into Jerusalem. As a king would ride down to take his throne, but they rejected him. And he went back out and how he looked out over them. Think of all that happened. I was talking to your brother the other day, and I said, think of all that they did to Jesus. How they called him Beelzebub, but can any good thing come from Nazareth? And they called him a devil, and they called him all sorts of names. They rejected him over and over. Yet as he stood there looking over Jerusalem, he said, how oft I would have hovered over you as a hen does her brood. How oft I would have just taken you under my wing. How oft I would have done so much for you, but you wouldn't. You rejected your king. So here even Pilate recognizes and takes and says, Behold your king. And they reject him and say, No, we want Caesar as our king. So that's the, that's the dispute. And then he's hearing, and he, verse 17, bearing the cross. Forgive me for going through it quickly, but I want to focus on the robe. And he's bearing the cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him and two other on either side, and Jesus in the midst, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, writing, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this title went then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, and he said, I am King of the Jews. Write that. In other words, saying, say that he said of himself. But Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be? And this, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and my vesture, did, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. I want you to think on this for a moment. A vesture. What is a vesture? Simplicity, it's a robe or a coat. But it could be described as a little more than that, as it can be that it is an individual's covering or their veil, the vesture of Elohim. Here was Elohim, really, Jesus was God in flesh, dying on the cross, and what did they do with his vesture? They cast lots for it. It wasn't even important enough for them to fight over. It was just so little to them that they were willing to just throw a dice down and say, whichever number you pick, that's what number you get. And I'll flip a coin or we'll play rock, paper, scissors, or whatever it was. They just cast vesture over it and say, whatever happens, happens. Whoever gets it, gets it. It's nice, but you know what? It's just a coat. I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to change gears and come back to that. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 5. 
says, of such a one, you know, Paul describes the vision of going into the third heaven where he says, I knew a man, he went, and he said he, words that I not even lawful for me to repeat. But he says, in verse 5, he says, of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man would think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. But he saith unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So notice what Paul is beginning to describe. First he starts out, we didn't read it, describing uh, how he could glory in what he's seen. But he said, things that I cannot even repeat, it would not be lawful for me. He said, but in myself, I have nothing to glory about. I have nothing in myself to brag about, though he could say, and he goes into it in the scripture, how he was a Hebrew born of a tribe, and how he, how he was a sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and he learned so many things, and he knew the law, is touching the law, blameless, and all of these things. But he says, in myself, he says, I have nothing to glory of. I can't glory of this. He says, even though I besought the Lord, this, this, this thing in my eyes is what it was that, that kept bothering him and bothering him and bothering him. He said, I thought the Lord thrice, but in all of it, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, therefore, rather, I would rather glory in my infirmities so that the power of God could be made known through me. I would rather glory in that which the trials that God puts me through so that also the glory of God could be displayed through the overcoming of said trials. Hey Amen. So that way, Paul, he's, be, he's beginning to, to express really the walk of a Christian walk. Then listen, it's not an easy walk. I don't have a lot to glory in. I'm like the robe of Jesus that they could look at and say, it's a nice robe, but it's not worth fighting for. I'll just gamble about it. I'll just throw it away. I'll just make it what it is. It's nice, but it ain't worth all of that much. But rather, he says, I'm just a robe. That there's something within me that is worth glorying about. There's something within me. That man, he says, that's what I'll glory about. If you jump down with me to verse 18. He says, I desired Titus. And with him I sent, you, I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? I want you to notice something. Here's the messenger to the age. Paul. Writing unto the church of the Corinthians. And he's writing a letter to them. And he's saying, I sent Titus to you. Perhaps they desired Paul to come. Think of it as in today. If Brother Branham was alive. And he said, well, I, I sent brother, another brother to you. I sent Brother Neville to you. Did not he come in the same spirit? 
But, the, but Brother Branham, we wanted you. You understand? That's what Paul's trying to say here. You, you wanted me to come. I sent Titus. Didn't Titus come in the same spirit? Didn't he walk in the same footsteps? In other words, listen, it's not the vessel here. It's not the individual trying to say, I'm somebody special. You're somebody special. But it's the spirit that's within the individual. That's what's worth glorying over. Yeah. Amen. He says, again, think ye. That we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. That we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. Hallelujah. That to me is the real fivefold ministry. Not about it's got to be Brother Ed. It's got to be Brother Andrew. It's got to be Brother Harold. It's got to be Brother Moses. It's got to be Brother Max. It's got to be Brother John. It's got to be this. It's got to be Brother Bronze Spencer. It's got to be Brother Andrew Spencer. No, it's about something greater than that. I want to see Christ on display so that it would just be for the edifying of the body of Jesus Christ so that you could come up a little higher. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Adam says in the message, the unveiling of God, phenomenal few quotes here. He says, notice, all the glory that is in God is in his word. All the blessings that's in God is in his word. Oh, I love that. He's not hiding all kinds of things anymore. It's all the glory, all the blessings of God. It's in here. Live with your privileges. Live with your God-given rights. It's in here. Don't take it and say, well, that's not for me, or I don't see it in the Word. Dig in. All of it lays in there. It's hid to the unbeliever by traditions. See what I mean? But it's all in Christ, all that God was. He emptied himself, kinos. Is the, is the Greek word kinos, and then came into Christ. And we into Christ are behind the veil. Yeah. You say, well, I'm in Christ. And then you believe in three gods, baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, believe in these traditions and things. He said, no, you're still on the wrong side of the veil. See, come into the veil. Christ is the word. Yeah. Well, I don't believe in divine healing. I don't believe in miracles like that. I don't believe in such things like that. We've got to bring that into the message sometimes. Because we gloss over that and say, yeah, we believe in miracles. Of course we do. But we want to try and take it as a message attitude. Say, I don't believe that my problem's big enough for God. God cares about the small things. He cares about the big things. It's not important to him whether it's this big or whether it's that small. What's important to him is that he's touched by the feeling of our infirmities and that he's the healer of all big, small, our sicknesses and diseases. By his stripes, we are healed. The chastisement of our peace is upon him no matter whether it's diagnosed anxiety, whether it's just a worry for the test tomorrow. Your peace is upon him. He cares. Amen. Hallelujah. See, he says, you're just not in the veil. You know nothing about it. See, Christ is the Word. When we're in the Word, we're in Christ. How can I be in Christ denying Christ? It was He that said not one word can be added to or taken from. See, how can we take away from it, add to it? See, it shows, that you, that, that shows you what veiled got you veiled away. He says, we in him, then we being in him, we are still veiled to the religionists and the professors of the world. 
See, our glory that we have and enjoying, we are still veiled to them outsiders. They think we're crazy. They think we're a nut. See, that's right. But we who are in here in Christ, baptized into him. He says, into him, we are partakers of his glory. But not on the outside, you're still looking in, denying it. Says, so now, we're invited into him to be partakers of a few things that he is. Nope. Says to be partakers of all that he is. We're invited into him which is hid to the unbelievers by the veil of human flesh. Catch that for a moment. Once you're in Christ Jesus and someone on the outside could look and say, I don't see it. Why? Because there's a veil called this human flesh that's veiling it to them that the unbeliever can't see beyond that. They can't look beyond your own mistakes, your failings, your faults, and see that there's Christ on the inside. He says it's veiled by human flesh. They know that glory. They read about it. It's the word here, the glory of God, the things. It's just a word to them, unbelievers. But to us, it's a manifestation. It's no more a word. It's a reality. Hallelujah. Like we read this morning about the whole of creation groaning and travailing for the manifestation of the sons of God to the unbeliever. That's just a word looking in the future sometime off. But to the bride of Christ, that's a reality right now. That we are now the sons of God. We are now the daughters of God. Hallelujah. It's a manifestation. It's a reality. He says, now when I said earlier in the same message, he said that when he said emptied himself, poured out, he says we would look at it like he vomited up. That's the English word. Emptied, poured out. Something went out of him that was to be emptied, to be poured, different from him. But the the word kinos in the Greek does not mean that he vomited up. He says that is what it is, is that he changed himself. He poured himself into, into another mask, another form. Not another person went out of him called the Holy Ghost, but it was himself. You get it? Himself poured himself into the people. Hallelujah. The English language is so insufficient. Himself poured himself into the people. Praise be to God. Christ in you, how beautiful, how wonderful to think God pouring himself into the human being, into the believer, pour out. It was a part of his drama to do so. God, all the fullness, all the God had bodily was in the person, Jesus Christ. He was God. He was God alone, not a third person, second person, the, or the first person, but the person. God veiled in human flesh. And all that was in Christ, he poured into the church, changing his mask once again. God pouring himself out into Christ, and Christ pouring himself out into the church. Hallelujah. So that it wasn't a different God, it wasn't a different Holy Spirit, it wasn't a lesser, it was all of it. Hallelujah. He said, I only got a spoonful. It's the same chemicals. Somebody seems like they got a leader. Praise the Lord for that. Somebody else seems like they got a court. Praise the Lord for that. But if you just got a spoonful, you got the same chemicals as the one with the leader. You got the same chemicals as the whole ocean. 
God does it not matter whether it's small or whether it's great. He says, you must be born again. Oh, my. To go back to the robe for a moment, his vesture that they cast lots for, it was purple in color, which was a costly and expensive color, but it was significant in the word as it was a representation of the changing of the vesture of Elohim. I just read in the, in the scripture to my children, we were reading the book of Samuel, we were reading how the Philistines came and they took the ark in battle. And they brought it up into their cities and they brought it into different cities and as they carted it around everywhere they went, they, they found that they put it before their god Dagon thinking they were going to have Jehovah worship Dagon. And what happened? Dagon fell flat on his face. That was the first time. So they thought, well, let's do it again because I think that's coincidence. Maybe some vandals came in or something when we weren't watching. So they set him up again. This time he fell on his face again. This time his head was cut off. His palms were cut off. Hallelujah. He ain't got no life and he can't do anything. He's just a dead stone. And so they took him to another city and those people all got sick. And these people all got sick. Finally, they said, what do we do? They said, put it on a new cart. Remember, these weren't the Levites. They couldn't just pick it up on the shoulders like the Levites and take it to the back to where it's supposed to be, back to Shiloh. But rather, they, could, they had to think of something in their own pagan way. They said, let's put it on a new car. Let's get these two milk cows that haven't done how to yoke on their neck ever before. Let's attach them to the car, and we'll just send them out. If they go this way, Bethshemesh, I think it was called, this way, then we'll know that that, that was of God. All those things that happened, that's because Jehovah really is in his ark. And so we know that that was right. It was of God. We're going to be okay now. But if it goes this way, then we know it was just by happen chance that all these terrible things became upon us. So here they set these cows out, and they just let them go out the city gates. And the Bible records that they went with lowing. They didn't turn to the right or to the left. They went straight to Bashemish. Hallelujah. God is so accurate. He took two dumb milk cows and put the ark where it was supposed to be. Put the word of God back in its place. It was man that took it out of its place, out to the battle. Thinking I got my idea of where God should be. But God just took two dumb milk cows and he put the word of God back in its rightful place. And he took it back to where it was supposed to go. Hallelujah. And we find that when it came to this place, there was some man that looked inside. The Bible doesn't really record how many it was that looked inside, but I'm sure it wasn't all of them. But it was at least one of them that looked inside. They wanted to get a glimpse. I'd never seen the ark before. Never seen this revelation before. Never seen this before. I'm going to just take a closer look. And God slew 50,000 of them. Wow. Finally, they contacted the Levi and said, come get this thing out of here. We done wrong. And what else did they do? They fell on their face. And repented before God. Amen. That was the important part. But finally, what was it? The, the, the ark of the Lord, the word was coming back to its place. But in all of that, just to look upon it. To break open that veil of Elohim and to look into the glory of God. It was death. And not just for the one or two or five guys that looked in it. 50,000. I'm sure they didn't have an assembly line of 50,000 people going through going, oh, oh. No, it was probably just a handful. Maybe even one that just had to get a peek. But it cost them 50000 
But now in Christ, there was a changing of the vesture, a changing of the veil of Elohim. So that there could be access into it. Now if you put up Exodus chapter 26. Just verse 31, you don't have to turn to it. It's just one scripture here. It says, and thou shalt make, this is talking about making the veil. For the holiest of holies, I believe. And he's talking about thou shalt make the veil blue and purple and scarlet. And fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. That was very specific of how to make this veil. Very specific the colors to, to be made with it. The veil on one end was blue, the other was red. Mixing blue and red together makes purple. So as those two came together, it was purple in the middle. But now blue represents the word. That's in Numbers chapter 15, if you want to write that down. Numbers 15, verse 38 to 41, they were told to sew blue ribbons around the hem of their garments. So every time when they look upon it, they would be reminded of the commandments of God. It's a representation of the word of God. Red is a representation of God in flesh. It's a representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. The atonement that was paid. Redemption's work being finished. And in the middle of those two was a representation of purple so that when the Word and the blood of Jesus come together in your life, it creates a new creature in Christ. Because in the middle of purple, purple is a representation of royal. Royalty. So in Revelation chapter 5, if you put that up there, I'll try and slow down. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. Blue, the word. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred. Red, the blood. And tongue and people and nation. In verse 10, it says, and thou hast made us unto God kings and priests. You've made us royalty. By the coming together of those two colors, by the coming together of the blood of God, the word of God, becoming the bleeding word for the believer makes them a king and a priest unto God so that we shall reign on earth. Amen. If you need more than that, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, also verse 9 and 10. It says, and ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now I want to take special notice in this scripture. It says that you're a, you're, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. For what purpose? So that you could receive the glory? No, we're just a vesture. We're just a veil. The veil doesn't receive the glory, but it's what's inside the vesture. It's what's making that, that, that robe, that quote, that equipment do the job. That's what receives the glory. Praise be to God. So now it says that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in time past, you were not a people. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before those colors blended together, 
There was no royal people. You were not a royal people. You were just individuals out there on your own. But God called you. God brought the right mixture together. You were, you, but you are now the people of God which have, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The purple robe that they unknowingly placed on Jesus in mockery. A vesture that to man wasn't worth fighting over or dividing up, just a gamble over it. That's often how we're thought of. Ever been persecuted? You ever been called down? You ever been told good for nothing? I've been, so I'll just put my hand up. Called all kinds of things. You're not worth my time of day. You're not worth me to put the effort into it. But to God, it was something more. The veil of blue and purple at the same time that they were out there gambling for this purple robe, the veil of blue and scarlet and purple in the temple was ripped right down the purple line. The Bible says it was ripped right down the middle from top to bottom. Signifying this is the time we're in. Elohim has changed his vesture. He's no longer hidden in this ark that to look on this ark is death. But rather there's a different veil. That the same God, not a different God, the same Elohim that was there in the great Jehovah that dwelled between the wings of the cherubim and the mercy seat was there. Now is the blood of Jesus Christ. That he, Jesus, is a high priest forever. Making intercession on our behalf. Hallelujah. The word of God becoming the bleeding word. God condescending down into a many-membered body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For us the body is one, and hath many members. All the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have made all th- and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Aren't you so thankful to the Lord? Like Brother Adam was talking about, it, I was just getting into it yesterday. What we really need is a real good Pentecostal drunk. To get so full of the Holy Ghost till this robe, this flesh of me isn't me animating it anymore but it's God animating the flesh. It's God's walking in the robe so that I could be like the robe that he put on Jesus. That Herod put on Jesus that I would bring about the good tidings of the gospel that I could be called beautiful in my feet. Hallelujah. So that I could be full of the living God. Hallelujah. The time for the royal, blood-bought, spirit-filled priesthood was at hand and is here. You see his robe. Be his robe. You might say tonight, Brother Andrew, it's not easy. You know what I've been through. You know what I've came through. Don't you know my testimony, my backstory? I started out telling you about how they make Tauri in purple. It wasn't easy. 
It wasn't an easy process that they just went out and synthesized purple. It wasn't until I think the 19th century that they finally synthesized it. But rather they said there was billions upon billions upon billions of these snail shells. Just a massive mountain of them. Because they kept having to take these marine snails out and they kept having to uh, provoke them through heat and through water and different things to bring them to a certain place where they would release this toxin. They would have to take that toxin and they would have to expose it to oxygen so that it could create the right pigment. Sounds like some of our lives, doesn't it? Sounds like mine. That God had to provoke, God had to do something over and over until finally it brought about the right attitude, the right atmosphere until finally I could lay on the ground and say, Lord, I surrender everything. Lord, I release every, all the toxic that's in me, all the sin that's in me, everything that I've built up over the years, and I lay it all down now so that I could just be a vesture for Elohim, so that he could live in me, so he could live through me. Praise be to God so that I could be drunk once again. Not on new wine, but on the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The musicians want to come. Praise God, I managed to keep it short tonight. That's what we need again. He's in this house. We were all like that little girl at one point in time. Dead in sins and trespasses. The Bible talks about that, how we were all a people. We were all in darkness. We were all, but then God came by. But God who was rich in mercy. A people who before had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How did he obtain it? He called us. He chose us. Many are called, but few are chosen. He didn't just stop there and say, I chose you. I justified you. I predestinated you. Foreordained you. Justified you. Sanctified you. Filled you full of the Holy Ghost. Why? We can live with our God-given rights. So we don't have to be bound by their own flesh and our own idiosyncrasies that we feel like, I just can't do it. My problem's not big enough. I'm not worth all that much. God didn't care that much for me. I don't know who this is all for. But yeah, he cared that much for you. I could say it this way, if it was just me that he died for, he did it just for me. If it was just you, if you're the only one saved, he would say it was worth it all. The Donnie Dragon sings a song, he's been such a blessing to me. He says, I don't want to live in paradise alone. God had a desire. God had all of the the paradise he had and all of the the greatness that he had and all of his glory. I don't want to live here alone. But he desired fellowship. And oh, that his word would not be broken that he had soldiers thinking they were being mocking and cruel just throw a purple robe on him. Act like he's a king. They don't realize they were signifying there's a change coming. This is a change of time. That there's going to be robes that are royal priesthood. That are peculiar people. That are a holy nation. 
that would show forth his praises, that would be full of him, that the other veil, the other vesture that before veiled him, it was no more. But there was something else that still stumbles people. Your flesh, my flesh. That, that is the veil that God is hid behind. So I say, Lord, help me to thin this veil. So that they could see Christ. Little girl was lying there. Let's stand together. People all weeping. They just laughed at Jesus when he said she's only sleeping. But then he took her by the hand. She began to live again. Some began to praise the Lord. Some began to sing, he's in the house, death has to flee, now there is light, where darkness used to be, now there is hope, there's no I just want to say before we sing this next verse, I was sent a video by Brother Kevin Hennecke, actually, really helped me. Brother Lonnie Jenkins, years and years ago, describing how the old nature gets burnt out, how Brother Branham described it to Brother Jackson, Sidney Jackson. I'm going to talk about it, you to say, remember the picture of the, the, the rainbow, the lights there? I'm misdescribing it, sorry. But if you look at that picture, if you were to look it up, I did it, and there's, there's behind him like a face. This is nothing new to any real believer here. But, but as there was behind him like a face, like an Indian chief, he said, do you see that? And he said, that's my old nature. And he described it with his hands like this. He said, when you receive the word for your day, the, the light of the hour, when you receive that down into your heart and it burns out the old nature, he just did that. That's what Brother Branham did. This is because it goes from a place of preeminence to a place of influence. Because it no longer has the preeminence in your life because it's, there's a new creature in Christ Jesus now. There's a new life in you that is there to control, be in the control tower that you become just a vessel. He said, but that old nature still sits back there and talks to you as though it is still in a place of preeminence, as though it still has the power over you, but it's just an influence. Amen. Hallelujah. And when Satan comes to remind you of all the things that you did and all the bad things, he says that that's not what you did, that's what it did in your body. Because that body is no longer a vesture for that old nature. That body is a vesture for the Lord Jesus Christ to live in. And that nature never did anything wrong. Hallelujah. Well, if that doesn't set you free, that you can realize that all those things in the past, I'm free from all that because God set me free. And this nature, if I could just be sensitive to this nature, it'll never hurt him.
It'll never do anything wrong. Lord, help me. Oh, I was like that little girl. I was like that girl. Dead in all my sins. To Jesus' heart, this heart of mine. And gave me life again. And I am just a house of clay. But ever since that last day, there's a light that shines on me for all the world to see that He's in the house. Death has fallen to Now there is light where darkness used to be. just bow our heads together and shortly we're going to go to a baptism with every head bowed and every eye closed I wonder if there would just be someone who wants to say I, I haven't been a vesture for the Lord I've been walking in my own way walking after my own desires but now I just want to lay it down I just want to let go of it all and say Lord I release all of that toxin I release all of that old self. Help me just to be sensitive to the leading that you would have. Help me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come in a special way into my life tonight? Would you fill me in my life so that it would be me and you, an individual walk, and my anchor within the veil would hold, that I could step tonight across the interveil into where Jesus is. So I could be full of Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see every hand that's raised. You see the heart, Lord God, that's behind every hand. Lord, it's just this desiring, burning, Lord. Lord, may it be, Lord, as they were on the road to Emmaus, Lord, and you just begin to describe to them how these things had to come about, how these things had to be in the Scripture. Father, may that be the way it is tonight, Lord, behind every hand that's raised. Let there be a burning desire. Say, Lord, I know you're real. So he's saying, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's real in me, Lord. I'm sick and tired of being like that little girl, just dead. Just dead. The doctor's saying he's dead. Lord, I want you to come down tonight. Just touch my hand. Hold on to my hand, Lord. Breathe life into these dry bones. Lord, don't let me walk out of this place the same individual I came in. Don't let me just walk because I'm a Christian, because I, I go to end-time message. But Lord, let it be real to me. 
Lord, don't let it be just words on a page saying someday there'll be a manifestation in my life. Let it be real right now that I am now the son of God. I am now the daughter of God. Lord, would you come? Lord, just make it real to each individual tonight. Father, that we could just be vessels yielded to your moving. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. That you would receive the glory tonight, the honor and the praise in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. As they get ready for the baptism, why don't we just worship the Lord? Sing, blessed be, blessed be. Blessed be, blessed be. mighty tower and ever present help in my darkest hour you're my hiding place and you're the ancient of days you're the rock on which I'm standing you are worthy of my praise singing blessed be
Let 
Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't you just love the Lord? Hallelujah. 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 Amen. And uh, I don't know if she would have been named that if it would have been for the events that happened even before she was born. So I'm just going to share something. This is Brother Thomas and Sister Catherine's girl. And at the time when they were expecting her, the doctors let, let them know that uh, the embryo as it passed through the fallopian tubes, it did not go down to the uterus. And they said because of where it was, they advised Brother Thomas and Sister Catherine that they would need to abort the birth. There would be a danger of death to Sister Catherine. It was very serious. There was also a danger to the child. And they advised them to do it right away. They didn't even want her to leave the hospital. But God placed a faith in the parent's heart. And the faith that he placed in their heart was, we're going to pray first before anything happens. And we gathered together. We had prayer. And I say, God came on the scene in a miraculous way. So before this child was ever born, God knew her. Before she was ever come, come forth, God knew her. His mercy was upon her. So she came forth. We see her today. She's 11, almost 12. And God's been dealing with her. And we want to thank God for her life. He knew her before the foundation of the world. He knew she would come to this place. He knew her parents. He knew the faith they would have. And we are happy today to be able to perform this baptism. She came to us in the office last Sunday after service. Brother Kyle had ministered, and there was tears running down her face. She says, I want to be baptized. 
Oh, I think that's wonderful. I think all of heaven's rejoicing. I think we can rejoice. Sister Mercy, just come up here. The Bible says in the... Just, just stand right here. That's good. Thank you. The Bible says in the book of Romans that um, if we're buried in the likeness of his death, we will also be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. So what's happening was actually what Brother Andrew was praying on. She's going down. There's, there's an old part of Sister Mercy, the natural, the old nature. But there's a new nature that's coming in. And baptism is an outward show of an inward work. So something's been happening in her. She's now desiring to identify in the death of Christ that Christ can raise her anew. Is that your desire? Yes. <laughs> Amen. She's, do you want to say anything? You're good? Okay. Amen. We're going to baptize her now. So, Sister Mercy, we're going to ask that when you we get ready, you just put your hands over your nose, okay? So we're going to baptize her in Christian baptism. That's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go in the Bible, in the book of Acts, this is how they baptized. So this is Christian baptism. Sister Mercy, because it's your desire to serve the Lord, we're going to baptize you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this hour and this day. Lord, we believe that you saw it before the foundation of the world. You knew the course of events that would happen, even to bring her to this earth. And Lord, though the enemy tried to block the way, he couldn't. Father, and now she's come to an age of accountability. She's understanding there's a need for a savior in her life, Lord. She's repenting of her sins. Father, she's giving her life unto you. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would fill her with the Holy Ghost. Amen. I pray, O oh Lord, that from this moment on, the Spirit of God would work in her life in a great way. Amen. Bless her life, Lord. Bless her parents, her family. And Lord, may there be a rejoicing in heaven as there is here on earth. Amen. We thank you for her. We commit her fully into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glad day when I was born again. Glad day when I was born again was a glad day when I was born again. It was a glad day when I was born again. And the sins I used to do. Oh, and glad day when I 
was born again. It was a glad day when I was born again.